0: Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Good morning Elevation and welcome to our service today. We uh, trust that you have had an amazing morning already. Uh, I love times of worship where we can kind of refocus, realign uh, our spirit and our attention and set our gaze on Jesus. Uh, And I also love coming around His Word. There's one thing I'm learning right now that this book is more than just letters on a page, but it is the very anchor for our soul. No matter what we're going through, whatever we're facing, we find the answers inside of this. And so uh, our hope, my hope, my prayer as we come around today's message is that we are encouraged, that we are stirred, that our faith is lifted as we unpack this story and scripture inside of it. And so I'm very excited for this morning. And I just want to uh, let you know, if you don't know who I am before we get into it, uh, I'm all about stranger danger. So let's become friends. My name is Isaac and I get the privilege to be on team here in Elevation looking after our Redlands location as a location pastor there with my incredible wife, Sophie, uh, who I adore and who I love. And uh, I'm excited to share this message with you this morning. If it is your first morning with us this morning, as you've already been welcomed again, want to welcome you. You are a guest in our service today wherever you're watching from, whatever you're watching on and whoever you might be with, we are honoured that you would join us this morning. And I honestly believe that the same way you enter into this service, you're not going to leave because I know this, that Jesus is real and He wants to meet with you exactly where you are. And uh, so we should jump right in and get into it. I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. Uh, You might be like, 1 Samuel, where is that? That's the Old Testament. I know the, 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 the half of the book that Maybe gets overlooked. Uh, We always sit in the New Testament. (laughs) I'm just kidding. All the true Christians right now are triggered, but uh, we're going to go to one Samuel chapter seven, starting from verse three, and I've titled this message this morning, "Pressure Preppers." Pressure preppers. And so we're going to unpack that. I said this to Redlands a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We've decided that in order to get back to the service when it opens, you need to show us your notes from our online season. And that's your ticket in. And so make sure you're taking notes this morning. Again, that's a joke. Don't worry, we'll let you back in. But uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 3 says this. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth, From among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the land of the Philistines. And so the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered there, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. And now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered there, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel had heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered them. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew to attack Israel. I love this. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and drew them into confusion and they were defeated before Israel. Just a little bit of uh, a background to where we interject in this story is that Israel uh, had just been defeated by the Philistine army and the Ark of the Lord had been taken and put into the Philistine temple. Uh, And now the Philistine temple, kind of there was things that happened because the Ark was there and they're like, we don't want this thing. This is powerful. We don't know what's happening. So they send it back to Israel. And this is where our story begins, right? Is that Israel has just received the Ark back, the the place where the presence of God, the glory of God dwells. uh, And now they've together, they've repented for their sin and mistreating of God. And now they're circled again by the same enemy that that, that once surrounded them. And that's kind of where this story begins. And a great passage of scripture that I think we're going to learn a lot from. Before we dive in, let's pray together uh, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you right now for this moment, God, for these 20 odd minutes where we can come around your word. I pray that you would speak to us. You would reveal to us more of your son, Uh, Father, that there would not be people who leave with uh, a service or a name other than Jesus on their mind. God, that however we have walked in, we would not leave the same. Father, that you would use me as a mouthpiece, as a servant to preach, not my thoughts or my message, but your message to us as a family this morning. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. We ask all powers and all principalities that would come against the knowledge of you, Jesus, that you take them away, that there is clarity and receptiveness to hear the word of God this morning. And it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen and amen. Well, uh, I would love to share a little bit of a story here about when I was a child. Uh, If you don't know much about me, then I want to let you know, one, as a disclaimer, I love my family and I would never do anything to intentionally harm them. And second of all is I'm the kind of person who always goes above and beyond, even if it's outside of my ability. Like like I might not have all the knowledge, but I can guarantee if you ask me to do something, the the zealousness and the passion and the the ethic and effort is going to be there. I was the kind of student that got A plus for effort, but D plus for like skill. You know what I'm saying? But um, this story, we have to go back to when I was about 12 or 13 years old, and with my family, while I live, still lived there, uh, we did something every now and then my parents just called a frenzy. And what that was pretty much is we would go crazy to fix things up around the house. It would usually involve painting, it would usually involve tr- chopping down trees, uh, ripping up garden beds, j- lots and lots of dump runs, just general kind of things like that. And uh, this one time, what we were doing is we were picking up stones from one area and transferring them to another. Simple, easy task. Now, now I was like all in. Okay, mom, dad, you can count on me. I was doing it with my younger sister at the time. She was two years younger than me. And so we were picking them up and hauling them over to this place. Pretty much child labor, uh, what it was. And I was like, you know what, I'm efficient. Some people call it cutting corners. I call it efficiency. And so what I decided, instead of walking, I can pick up the stone and haul it with all of my energy to the destination where it needed to go. And so what I did is I started picking these stones up and chucking them. My little 13-year-old self just hauling these things. I felt like a boss. I was getting in a rhythm. It was faster. It was quicker. And I said to my sister, I remember saying, Emily, this is the future of labor. Like, join in on me. What I'm doing here, it's innovative. It's better than carrying them. She's like, no, Isaac, I'm fine. I'm fine. I was like, whatever, you're lost. So I keep going. And uh, what happened next uh, was something that I really didn't plan on. And as I picked up a stone and I chucked it with all of my might, my, the flight path of the stone and the work path of my sister intersected. Uh, and she took, she, she, as she was running, the stone hit her smack in the corner of the face. Now, here's the thing: I didn't do that on purpose. I still have a great relationship with my sister. I think we have a great relationship because of this moment. It brought us together. It bonded us. I'm not encouraging you to do this, but all I'm saying is God can turn anything that's bad and make it good. <laughs> and so uh, my sister connected the stone with her face in this mighty headbutt, and uh, I, I instantly ran over and I was like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" Just disclaimer as well, she has pure eyesight, no damage, no permanent damage. She's all good. But uh, it was incredible that this happened. I didn't plan it. I didn't expect it. And you might be like, what does this story have to do with 1 Samuel? But I believe this story kind of encapsulates a picture of life. Like Emily was working and her progress was halted because of a moment and a stone that she didn't expect to come her way. And so I want to pose the question to you, what do you do when the pressure of life hits you like a stone coming hundred miles an hour? What do you do when the pressure of life begins to surround you and things you didn't expect for, things you didn't plan for, begin to take place and it seems like your progress is halted? What do you do in those moments? For my sister, it was a stone hitting her in the face, but for you it could be anything. Like what do you do when the promotion that you had been assured would come doesn't come, and you've already made decisions, bought things, done things, because you were assured this would happen, but now it's not come, and bills are lining up, and finances are stacking up, and the pressure seems to be on you, like what do you do in that moment? How do you respond to life in that moment, or maybe for you, it, it, it's, it's a, a report or an email that you get sent back from a doctor and you've prayed for and you've believed for a healing and you've, you, you've gotten people around you and you've, you've thought that this is going to come to pass. But in this moment of receiving this report, it's not what you thought it was. And the pressure of life begins to surround you. It comes at you 100 miles an hour and all progress is halted. Like, what do you do when life is life? Because let's be honest. Life happens. Pressure comes. So what is our response going to be in the middle of the pressure? We find in life, sometimes we become halted because of pressure we didn't expect. Like what happens when you're believing for that contract to come through and you've been praying and you've thought that it's going to happen, but then all of a sudden it falls through. What are you going to do in the moment when pressure hits you? What happens when you're, as a child, sit down as a family and mum and dad say that they're not together anymore? What are you going to do? when the pressure of life hits you. What I've learned is that in moments of pressure, it reveals what's precious to us. In moments of pressure, we turn to certain things, each of us something, and it reveals what's actually precious to us. You can learn a lot about someone, you can learn a lot about yourself by looking at what you turn to in moments of pressure. Uh, I see the world offers a response to pressure that isn't life-giving or helpful. When life begins to hit you, when you've had a hard week, a hard month, maybe a hard season, and the world seems to be concaving around you, the world offers a way of escape. It says, hey, you've had a hard week, come and drink of this liquid maybe on a Friday afternoon and you'll forget everything, you'll numb yourself, it'll make you feel better. But we all know that at the end of that, there's more despair, there's more guilt, there's more hopelessness, it never seems to work. Might be a substance, maybe it's an image on a screen, maybe it's a spending habit. Maybe it's even, hey, the world will say, you've had a tough week, life's can... Conca- just just come, come, come and binge on this TV show for three, four, five hours and you'll feel better. But we all know that we, at the end of it, it never seems to satisfy or promise in what it aims for us. Maybe it's aimlessly scrolling on a newsfeed and you just sit there for hours because life's all around you. The doctor's report hasn't lined up. The bills aren't seeming to happen. The family's falling apart. And so you just aimlessly scroll on a device. See the world in response to pressure will offer you an escape. And I sit there and I go, surely there has to be a better way than this. Surely there has to be a different path that we can take that when the pressure of life hits, we don't follow the escape pattern of the world into aimlessly scrolling or drinking of a substance or, or going to this liquid or looking at this image. Like Surely there has to be a better response to pressure. And it's funny, as I read this passage of scripture, I think what we see in the Bible is that when the world offers an escape to pressure, God wants to offer you an encounter in the middle of the pressure. He doesn't want to remove life because he knows life happens Sometimes it just throws you curveballs that you didn't expect. Life is life. And so he offers something greater than an escape. He offers you an encounter in the middle of the pressure you're facing. What would happen if we saw the pressure of life not as something that would bury us, but something that God would use to build us? What if we saw pressure as something that God wanted to grow things in us in the midst of it? In this passage of scripture that we just read, I believe we learned three simple practices that we can employ in our own lives to help us prepare for pressure so that when the pressures of life come, we don't escape to something hurtful, we don't escape to something harmful, but we are solid and we are firm and built on the rock that is Jesus so that the pressure doesn't end us, doesn't destroy us, but it grows us, it's there to build us, and it's there to mould us. And so I I want to encourage you, uh, in this passage of Scripture, the Israelites are fighting the same enemy that they were a few chapters earlier that defeated them but now they have a victory. It was the same enemy, but a different outcome. And so maybe you're sitting here right now and uh, watching from wherever you're watching from and, and the same enemy of your past is beginning to creep back in and you go, yeah, Isaac, I agree. There is pressures of life right now that I thought I'd beaten that addiction to this or I thought I'd beaten the thoughts of that or I thought I'd beaten this, but it seems to be coming back into my life. And I want you to take uh, encouragement from the fact that the Israelite army were able to attack, to, to, to stand in the head of the same enemy, but there was a different outcome Because of their heart posture towards God. And so I honestly believe that these three things that we're gonna learn from this passage of Scripture, if we employ them in our life, you could face the same enemy, but God's gonna bring a different outcome. There's gonna be victory, there's gonna be a a battle that's won. Why? Because God is with us and we're fighting with Him. So, what changed with the Israelites? If we go back to the start of this passage, we see Samuel pose a question in verse 3 i sorry, pose a statement in verse three. He says, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. See, Samuel points to the Israelites that they need to look internally. And so the first discipline that we can put into our life is understanding who we are as a person. It's about the person. Samuel calls the Israelites to look inside of their heart and ask the question hey, hey, direct your hearts towards God. Serve him only. Put away the foreign idols. Put away the things of the world. Foreign idols, literally, something that would replace the position of God in your life. Uh, it could be anything. Sometimes in our culture today, we worship the idol of sport. We worship the idol of entertainment. We worship the idol of the new fashion or the new gadget, anything that takes the place of God. Samuel says to the Israelites, put that all away, look internally and direct your hearts to God. I wonder if Samuel knows that freedom around us begins with freedom inside of us, that we can try and change the situation. But ultimately, if our heart still isn't right, the situation's never going to change what's happening on the inside of us. A lot of us need to understand that behavior begins with belief. And Samuel says, Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord, you need to remove and replace some things in your heart because as long as they remain, you are not able to walk in the fullness, in the victory of what God has for you. See, in this passage, what is pointed out is that the Israelites have allowed foreign gods to take up residence and take up root inside of their heart. So I want to ask you today, who or what has the attention of your heart? Like if you take a step back and you're honest with yourself, what kind of takes up all of your thinking? What what kind of stirs an emotional response to you? Is it jealousy? Like jealousy has taken up residence in your heart towards a friend, towards a family member. Maybe someone got the position or or got the the thing that you're like, man, i wanted that for so long. And there's jealousy that's in your heart. Maybe it's hatred for someone. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. What has taken the attention of your heart? Because I know this, that the affection of your heart is the direction of your life. And so Samuel, from the beginning, says, hey, something we need to learn is to look inward. Look into our heart. What is taking up residence? See, whatever your heart is angled to is what your life will flee to during times of pressure. Remember I said at the beginning, in moments of pressure, it reveals to us what we see as precious. And so in moments of pressure, if we run to to, to an addiction, then we know that that has taken up residence in our heart. What you are captured by is what you will end up being a captive of. What captures your heart, will captive, will be, you will become a captive of in your life. So Jesus right now wants to remove hatred and He wants to replace it inside your heart with love. He wants to remove greed and He wants to stir within you a spirit of gen- generosity. We need clean hearts so that when moments of life and pressure come, we aren't swayed to the left or to the right, but our eyes and our confession is firmly fixed on Jesus." You see, I love that we want to be pressure preppers. And so we want to get this right before we enter into moments of pressure. Something in my life I've found is if that I can look inward and form my conviction, I will find my confession. So if I can form my conviction of what I believe about God, if I can have my heart right, I know that when the moment of pressure comes, I'm going to have a confession on my lips that's giving thanks to God, that's praising Him in the midst of the problem, that's persevering in the midst of the trial because I have a solid conviction internally. The first practice we want to understand is the, per- the person. Uh, who am I? What is inhabiting and taking up residence in my heart? The second practice is this. Um, we learn from this passage of Scripture is the people. In verse five to eight, we read that Israelites gathered together. So first of all, Samuel calls them to address the person, them as the individual. Then he he, he re- represents that there's a people; they're together in one place. We learn something in this passage of scripture about the power. Of people. There is something powerful when you surround yourself with like-minded, spirit-filled, faith-focused people. It's why I love life groups here at Elevation. I want to encourage you, if you are not in a life group, man, it is powerful to be in a community of believers who are going to lift you up when you don't feel like you can take another step, who can pray for you when you're going in through the midst of a storm, who can celebrate with you when you've just received the breakthrough, who can who can undergird you, who can support you. There is power in people, and we see this in this passage of Scripture. See, I really read this passage of scripture and seriously I have to sit there and wonder it says all of Israel gathered together like I sit there and I go surely there was one like surely there was one person who remembered what happened last time the Philistines faced them like there was one person who would have gone I don't know they're around us again we're all in one place this is what happened last time maybe this will happen again I might just call it quits you know I'm gonna go home I'm gonna leave it you guys stay here that's what, surely there was one Surely there was one person, but the Bible says that all of Israel gathered together and all of Israel cried to Samuel to pray to God for them, that he would deliver them. You know what it reminds me, even if there was one, there was people surrounding that person who were able to lift his spirits, to change his perspective so that he could see clearly the situation at hand, that God, in fact, is with us. See, I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care your gifting, how anointed you think you are. We all need people. We all need people who can encourage us when we feel like leaving, who can push us on when we feel like stopping, who can bring perspective into our lives. You know, I've learned something that is true, and that the people around you are the mirror for your future. And so I want to encourage you right now, even after this service, is to begin to look at who is around you because they form a mirror for your future. If you don't like what you see in the people around you, if they do things that you don't like, behaviours that you don't want to be uh, caught in, then I want to encourage you, don't stay there. Get around people who are going to spur you on. And I, I know all too often we can, rep- we can kind of agree with the sentiment that, well, I'm just trying to reach them. But if we're not surrounded first and foremost by people who are going to pray for us, uplift us, encourage us, then our reaching so often ends in replicating. The behaviour and people we're trying to le- reach to change, end up changing us and we replicate what they're doing. And so I want to encourage you, the people around you, are they praying for you? Are they faith-filled? Are they speaking life? Are they like-minded? Are they going to push you on? Are they going to challenge you when you need to be challenged? Are they going to bring wisdom around your life or are they just yes people? Do they just say what you want to hear? Because the people around you form the mirror for your future. And so the first one we learnt that we need to get right is the person who have I allowed, what have I allowed to inhabit my heart. Second of all is people who is surrounding my life, and the third one is this: is the presence. Finally, we learn from this passage of scripture that the Israelites were gathered around the ark. They were gathered around the ark, which was really the place where God's presence and His glory dwelt in the Old Testament. They were gathered around the presence. I love that when the pressure hit, when the army was surrounding them and gathered against them, they've learnt from their mistake. Their first response today to this moment was to cry out to God, hey, help us, deliver us, Samuel, please, we're surrounded. I don't know how we're going to get through this, but can you cry out to God for us? See, where we find security is based on what we first run to. And so I encourage you when pressure hits, uh, do you run to a budgeting strategy? Do you run to planning? Do you run to just filling your life with busyness? You don't need to run to a plan. What you need to do first and foremost is run to his presence. I'm all for budgeting. I'm all for planning. I'm all for professional help, but not at the expense of first running to the presence of God. The presence of God offers hope. It offers healing, it offers comfort, it offers a greater measure of what we need beyond what the world can offer. So I'm all for planning, I'm all for budgeting, I'm all for professional help, but I wanna be a person who runs first and foremost to the presence of God. See, what if the pressure isn't there to defeat you, but it's there to help you depend in a greater way on God? I love the Bible says that when I'm weak, I'm strong. In other words, God begins where I end. And so in moments of pressure, when life looks chaotic, I want my first thing to be, God, I thank you that I cannot do it on my own. And so I'm going to pray all the harder. I'm going to worship all the more. I'm going to praise you in the midst of my pressure. Whatever is happening, I know that I need to run first and foremost to your presence. See, the real challenge to think through is not what are you running from, but who are you running to? It's more important that we run to the right place and the right person more than what we're running from. Are you running to bills, busyness, addiction, escapism, hurt, pain, or are you running to the presence of God, a place where He can lift your spirits, where He can form your perspective? Are you running to the presence of God? You know, it's amazing how many people have neglected time with God and time reading His Bible and prayer with Him in our modern world. It seems to be a lost art of quiet time that we have all too easily forsaken and forgotten. You know, I've done something in my life called Faith Five, and literally, this is what it is. It's where moments throughout my day, I will pray for five seconds. Doesn't have to be long, simple, short. But the reason is that it angles my heart back to the presence of God and it anchors my soul to the spirit of God. Faith five, simple. When I'm driving to work, Father, I thank you for this incredible day. I hope that I would see you in the midst of what I'm going through. On the lunch break, when I'm driving to a coffee shop, God, I thank you that you would help me to have an opportunity to love someone today when I'm driving home, man, I had a really bad day, God, but I thank you that you're still for me, that you still have a plan for me. Faith five, simple, easy, but it redirects our, uh, the position of our heart and of our being and of our life back to the presence of God. You so as we wrap up our time uh, today, I wanna encourage us when pressure comes, what's our response? Are we gonna follow the way of the world and, and, and try to escape the pressure of life? Or are we going to follow what Jesus has to offer us and encounter in the pressure that we're in so that the pressure doesn't leave, but that our perspective is is correctly placed on Jesus? Three simple disciplines, three simple practices that we can do. One, look at us as the person. The question I want you to kind of think through and talk about is what have you allowed to inhabit your heart? Be honest with yourself, be honest with others. What have you allowed to inhabit your heart? And then the second of all was the people. Who have you got surrounding your life? Who are you allowing to speak into your world? Because like I said, the people around you form the mirror for your future. And thirdly is the presence. What is the source that I find security in? Is it in my planning? Is it in my budgeting? Or is it in the presence of God himself? And so I want to encourage us with that. Um, I hope you have a great week. We're going to pray together. And simply what's going to happen is I'm going to pray for this, that we would all be people who would put these disciplines into our life, that we would really begin to see change manifest, that when pressure comes, we aren't ended, we aren't destroyed, but we're actually growing in our dependence with God, that we're persevering in the midst of the test and the trial and the pressure. So I'm going to pray for that. And then maybe throughout anything of this service, you are not, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you're like, ah, Isaac, even as you were speaking, I feel the pressure of life beginning to hit me. I feel the pressure of life coming on me. And you know I just need Jesus. I can't do this on my own. What I'm going to do after is we're going to say a prayer. And I would love you to repeat the prayer after me. And then we'll have some next steps for you to take that we can connect you into community. But I'm excited for you if you're about to make this decision. And so let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now for this message. God, I pray that it would be a message that doesn't just go in one ear and out the other, but it would be a message that would really percolate and form in our spirit, that we would be people who when the pressure of life comes, because we all know that it will, we're not gonna follow the way of the world where we try to escape from it, but we're gonna stand firm and encounter you in it, that we would be prepared for the pressure of life. Why? Because we've understood the the practice of the person, the people and the presence. Father, help us to do these things. Help us to change. Help us to live a life that glorifies you.